Well, I'm getting overexcited talking about hate this morning. You ready to get your hate on? Unless you hate your mother and your father is the title. I've got another kind of one here that's so are you ready to get your hate on? Which, yeah, I was tossing up between the two of them. Have you been practicing being hateful lately? Not, not, many, <laughs> not many takers? You haven't been? Really? Is your, is your mum or dad here in the room? Maybe you should turn to them and have one last look of love because after we finish this morning, there'll be no more of that. There'll be hate rising up in you, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> my children are good at this as well. And, and I think sometimes what I, what I think is them hating me, it obviously through this passage, is them being holy. I particularly remember a time when I... When I took, I may have told this story before, I took our kids to Sculptures by the Sea. And as we turned up, it was a while ago, so as I was pretty small. Anyway, 2015, there you go. That was a couple of years ago. Um, I put Isaiah on my shoulders. Hot day, it's in summer. We walk down, we find a park after a very long time. Walk down. The very first thing that happens, Isaiah's on my shoulders and he wheezes all down my back. We've just arrived. Yeah. Glorious. Warm, hot, wheat, running down my back while he's on my shoulders and we've just got there. So I think this is him hating me and it probably was, but, but what I'm understanding from this passage is that he's being holy by weighing down my back, by bringing his hate on. Or, or when my kids wake me up in the middle of the night, you know, you get that nudge. And sometimes it's a nudge, sometimes it's a smack in the face, or they've climbed into your bed, or they kick you in the ribs. All this seemingly hateful stuff. It's actually, maybe, maybe it's being holy, because they're being hateful. Was that you for your parents? Is that how you explain the way that you were hateful towards your parents? I'm actually following Jesus. Jesus said it. So it must... Lydia likes that one. She's getting a holy on when she hates her parents too and wakes them up. She wouldn't wake you up in the middle of the night though, would she, Jake? Of course not. Of course not. Have you got your Bibles there? If you have, we're going to turn to Luke 14 where this passage is found. We're going to go a little bit further into hate. Reading from Luke 14, verses 25 and 26. We're going to start there. Who's enjoying the problematic series? What I'm, what I'm hoping through this series is that people, and what I'm seeing it already, and, and I think it's the culture that we've set in this place, is that people are asking good questions. They're not just taking the surface value or expecting that they should know actually going deeper and going further into the questions because I think the, what the scripture does is it actually challenges us and causes us to ask more questions. It doesn't always give us the answers and even Jesus' response to all the questions he's asked is, yeah, I get that, but here's this question which takes it even deeper and people are going deeper and deeper into scripture, deeper into the word. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about this and what we're kind of going to do a little bit this morning is is we're going to look specifically at this passage, but then we're also going to look a little bit about what we do when something actually jars us and challenges us in the Word like this. So kind of treat this a little bit like a case study, but we're going to go through this together. We're going to start at verse 25 
large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Does not hate. Now this, this should, I hope, this should jar you, this should challenge you, this should actually cause you to pay attention, it should ask some questions, and maybe that's actually the point. If you skim over this, you're missing actually something that's going on, because surely this kind of language here is here on purpose, because it causes us to rise up and go, this doesn't make sense, this seems off. If we take it at face value, it almost seems like Jesus is asking and giving us a new commandment. The old ones, he said love. This one, he's kind of saying, you need to hate. A new commandment to hate your brothers and sisters, to hate your father and mother. Is that actually what's going on here? (laughs) Good. That means you're going further. You're actually not taking it for its face value, Rodney. Going further and going into it more. And the problem here is that it contradicts how Jesus summarizes all of the law in so many other places so many other times he's actually talking about love he's putting love to the front he's talking about how we should behave in relationships how we should love our neighbors and here he's talking about hate and in Luke 2 Luke sorry Luke 6:27 is a direct challenge about this this is why we would have this kind of understanding but to you who are listening i say love your enemies do good to those who hate you In Matthew 22, verse 37, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here, this is really important. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two. How do we suddenly get to hate then? If, if love should characterize everything, how do we suddenly do that? And especially for our loved ones, for the ones who matter the most in our lives. How do we come to a text like this and there's this contrast? We have to make this choice. Is this actually a new commandment or is something else going on? You should be, cho- you should be shocked and it is intentionally so. So often though what happens is we ignore this or we skim over it we don't go there. We pretend that it doesn't happen. Um, and we're not going to do that today. And we're certainly not going to take it at face value that we think that Jesus is actually saying hate our parents. Are we? I hope. I hope no one in here is fitting into that category and going, yes, it's literal. We need to actually know. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this. And, and this is just this is fairly simple, hopefully not too simplistic, but walk you through a little bit of the process of how I have approached this and so that we can and when you can not just when you look at this passage but when you come to any passage that actually challenges you how do we go about reading that how do we go about taking that challenge on and reading deeper and going into that so there's four things that we're going to look at we're going to the first one is that we're going to read it again and we're going to read it carefully, and we're going to read it wider, we're going to read it in its chapter, what's before, what comes after. So we're going to read it again. And then the second thing that we're going to do is we're going to get help. Remembering that this book was not written for you to sit at home and read it by yourself. Initially, when the first people had this book, it was 
communal book. It was read out aloud. There were people who knew more about it. There were people who had been studying and following Jesus for ages alongside of you. So we're going to get help. I'm just quickly going flashing through these and then we're going to come through and go through them in a bit more detail. But then the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to ask this really, really important question. What did it mean for them? What is Jesus actually saying? How did they respond to it? What would it have actually meant in their life, in their context? What would it mean for them? And then the fourth one, this is really, really important and I think one that we miss a lot as well. We stop there at that point. But we need to ask the question. We need to ask the question, so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? If we're going to be challenged, if we're going to be changed, if the Word is living and still has the power to change us and our lives now, then we need to be asking that question all of the time, but especially when something comes up and challenges and jars us and seems to go against everything that we thought we knew about what Jesus is on about, like this, that is so contrasting, we need to be asking these questions. So are you ready to get your hate on? So number one, we're going to read it again. And we're going to read it in the wider context. We're going to actually be asking, what is this, how does this fit into the whole story? How does this fit into the chapter what is the context that's going on around? What else is going on here? What just happened right before this happened? What, what happens next? This story and these verses don't happen in isolation and, and it's really dangerous when we just grab it out and because, and I'm sure you've seen it done, people can get these phrases and verses out of the Bible to mean almost anything. And this is one of the most dangerous things when they just grab that single verse or that single word and they take it completely out of context. But we need to be asking, what happened before? What happened after? How does this fit into the overall story? A way that we're going to kind of demonstrate a little bit about this, I apologize for all the Star Wars references, but my son is really into Star Wars at the moment, and I've been watching it with him, and, and so that's, that's where some of the references are going to come from. But say you, you're not a Star Wars fan. Boo. Say you're not a Star Wars fan, right? And, and you take up episode one. You start with The Phantom Menace. You start at the very beginning, right? And you're watching this story, this movie play out. Yeah, it's an entertaining movie. You'll see a whole lot of things that happen, uh, various scenes, particularly a scene where young Anakin Skywalker is being kind of grilled by the Jedi Council. This is kind of like, oh, that seems like a fairly harsh critique, a fairly, they're challenging him and going over and over and over again. But if you know a little bit more about the story, you'll realize that there's actually some more stuff going on. There's some deeper things going on here. The reason that they're asking that is because this story has a trajectory. It's going somewhere. And then there's clues along the way in this story are telling us a bit about the whole story. Why would that particular thing happen? Why would we be told that? Because later on, something else is happening. There's a trajectory that this story is going on. So let's do that here. We're going to go, we're not going to read it all and we're going to kind of fast forward this process, um, but we're going to go in here and we're going to look at chapter 14. So the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus, at, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house and he heals a man in front of them. He's having a meal with them. He, and, and there's a man who is the, uh, obviously in need. And he heals them, and there's a question of the Sabbath, this ongoing kind of thing that's going on, that he's healing on the Sabbath, and he's kind of questioning your culture and that kind of stuff. What's more important, the person? 
that's going on. And then after that, he sees them taking a place, the places of honor. And that's an important kind of shift in this. He sees them taking the places of honor and he tells a parable about a wedding feast and how you would be humiliated if you took the place of honor and then you got moved down because someone more important came along. Rather that you should take the least honorable place and then receive honor by being moved up. So this is the stories that are going on beforehand in verse 12 then Jesus said to his host now think about this someone's invited you over to their place for dinner and when you're thinking about honor and shame this this guy is the host of the meal this is the guy who should have the honor Jesus is challenging him and asking him this question telling him this story to the host then he said to his host when you give a luncheon or dinner do not invite your friends your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors invite who invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Now, here's the thing. This is not done in this culture. This isn't done in this culture. You don't invite those people. Those people are the outcasts. Jesus is challenging their cultural preferences, their honor and shame culture, and turning it on its head. He's saying, in my new tribe, in this new culture, Things are going to be different. In the kingdom, these disregarded ones, they're going to have the places of honor. They're going to be the ones who get invited to the feast. And then he goes even further in the parable of the great banquet. A story where those who were invited, they reject the invitation. And what happens? Verse 21. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And here's really interesting, verse 22, but there is still room. So we've invited all of the outcasts who are immediately here. We've invited all the broken, the, po- the people with no status in society. They're part of this banquet, but there is still room. So in verse 23, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Compel them to come in, the people in the lanes, the nobodies. They don't, they're, not, they're not close by, they're not in the places of honor. They're the nobodies in the back streets of nowhere. Get them to come to our banquet. These are the kind of people who are invited. These are the kind of the people who are coming in to our new tribe. We're doing a different thing here. The nobodies are invited to this party. They're going to be the ones who get the places of honor. So the stories leading up to this story, to the Luke 14, to the hate passage, it's about turning everything upside down. It's about what does your tribe look like? Is asking that question and where does your honor come from where do you get your identity because in this society all these places of honor come for the wealthy come for the important people the people of the temple the people who hold places of significance and status and Jesus is saying in the kingdom that is not how it will work in the kingdom that's not how it will work so we read beforehand because those stories will change the light that's shed on these passages. We come to verse 25 now with that in mind, that Jesus is turning culture on its head, that he's changing the story and saying this kingdom is different. This works differently to how your culture works. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, 
such a person cannot be my disciple. The light of those earlier stories changes our perspective as we come to this. We shouldn't be looking at this in terms of hate. And in case, in case you're still thinking that it meant to literally hate, the very next verse says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I didn't see you bring that into church this morning. I saw some of you hide your cross away in your car before you got it in because it was so big you didn't want to embarrass everyone else. But I didn't see you carrying your cross in here this morning. This is not literal, carry your cross. There's significance and meaning in that. In that. But we need to understand a little bit more about what it is. And in the same way, hate, we need to be looking at this in a different way. I, I don't believe you left it in your car. Jesus then goes on to tell a story about a tower. So we've read up before and we've read it again. Now we're reading after it. He tells a story about a tower. He tells a story about a king in battle and then a weird part about salt. And these stories kind of are saying, and, and you'll read, even the, the heading above your text may even say something about the cost of discipleship. But he's basically saying in these stories, are you prepared for the cost of following me? Are you prepared for that cost? And then interestingly, right at the end, this is, this is really something again to remind us in verse 35 it says whoever has ears to hear let them hear and now whenever we hear this kind of phrase in the text in the scriptures it tells us that people there's more going on here there's something else underneath the surface of all of this this is not just a surface thing because some people don't get it some people do not have ears to hear if he has to remind you that there's something else going on here, then we need to pay attention. Those with ears to hear, this is a familiar. And there's lots of other reminders in the stories that Jesus has been telling because they're hard to understand. And often he explains them. Where We're given the examples of where he's explaining them again to his disciples who still kind of don't get it. We hear the same phrase at the end of the parable of the sower in Luke 8 those with ears to hear let them hear it's not simple and it's not straightforward but here's this after going through the kind of the whole chapter i know it's very very quick but there's a whole lot of clues around this troubling verse about what is actually going on again if we look at the anakin skywalker story and we know the trajectory of that story that this young boy is actually going to become darth vader then it makes perfect sense that, that Yoda is questioning me, going, I see a whole lot of fear in you. I see and sense that this fear is the root of the dark side. He's a little boy. And if you would pick up the story there and only stay there and didn't know the trajectory of the story, that scene doesn't make any sense. But when you put it back into the context of the trajectory of the whole story, that's why they're asking those questions. That's why he's being challenged in that way, because we know this little boy who seems innocent and lovely and he's a great pod racer and he has a higher midichlorian count than anyone who's ever lived <laughs> it begins to make sense because it's back into context and you understand in the same way the trajectory of luke's gospel it has a trajectory and there's various layers of these different things but particularly in luke's gospel there is a journey 
heading towards Jerusalem, heading towards the cross. And if we put that trajectory, again, we look at this individual story with the trajectory of where this story is going, then those questions about cost are very, very real. This, following Jesus, living this kingdom way is going to cost something. It costs Jesus everything. So number one, we're going to read it again and we're going to read it widely. We're going to read it in the trajectory of the overall story. We're going to read it carefully. Number two, and I, I've intentionally put then we get help. Part of it is we should engage. We should read. We, we do have the privilege and the luxury of being able to read this text at home in private. And, and that's a great thing. But we do have to remember that this was not written that way. The earliest people who had these stories, who had these, they, they read them together. There were people who understood it more. There were people who had been following Jesus for a long time. There were people who had been studying Scripture for a long time. And they could help you if you didn't understand it. They could help you to understand what's there. So, so get help. Get help. So get a study Bible. It might be as simple as that. Go to online. Get Bible Gateway or go to... important one for this one was actually Jews for Jesus. Had some really helpful stuff on their website. But get help. Get help. And when I did that for this one particularly, I found uh, the usage of the language because I think that's the, that's the big problem. That's what's going on here. The hate. This is not language that we put on Jesus' lips in this way. So what is it? How else is this language used in this sense and in, in other cases that might actually shed some light on that? So with the help of these other things, we did read this. And one of the first examples of this and the way that Hebrews understand this and use this, this term and this word hate um, is in the case of Jacob with two wives. So we're going way, way back to help us to understand a little bit about the culture, a little bit how they, these people would understand this term and how it would actually work and fit into place. And there's this story of his two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Drake, it's a strange story, but Jacob is tricked into marrying Leah. He doesn't want to marry Leah, he wants to marry Rachel. But Laban, the father, tricks him into marrying Leah. And then he has to actually do another seven years labor in order to be able to marry Rachel who, a little bit strangely, who happened to both be his first cousins. But anyway, we'll skim over that. Genesis 29, verse 30, he says, He loved Rachel more than Leah. And then verse 31, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. From Jacob's perspective, we're told that he loves Rachel more than Leah. But then we go straight to this word, this language. But Leah was hated. Did Jacob actually hate Leah? I, I, I don't see that in the story. He has many children with Leah. He, he actually is her husband. I don't believe it's used in that context of he does not actually hate Leah. But it's intentionally used as this juxtaposition between love and hatred and preference over we're told that he loved Rachel more and that intentional contrast between those two things so let's flip this for a minute and come back into it I, I think the way that we use the word love is a lot closer to the word that they use the word hate how do you throw the word love around do you use it in a way that shows preference do you say that you love Vegemite 
and then also you love your wife. You use it as a preference. You use it to show and demonstrate that I, I really like that more than this. I don't think we use the word hate very much. And I, I know in my family, my sisters would say it to my mom and it would make my blood boil. I would hate it. I'd hate the word hate. I hate it. <laughs> this language and this, in this culture used to really demonstrate and to wake you up and to show you in the story that there's one is preferenced more than the other. One is loved more than the other. And I think this is an example of the way that hate is being used in that context. It shows favor. It shows preference. And it's to emphasize, not to create a new commandment. Jesus isn't saying we need a new commandment. Hate everyone you love. Not at all. It's to show and to emphasize the love of God over others. And so we read it again. We read it in context. That was step one. Step two, we've gone and got some outside help. And it's told us especially to look at this, the language um, around this story and, and other stories that are similar. Uh, and now three, really important question. What was the message for them? What did it mean for them? Now we have a better insight into the situation of what happened before, what happened after, the way they would use that kind of language in that culture when you would tell that kind of story there was expected trajectories that it would go and this story is different it doesn't follow the normal trajectory and we have the benefit and blessing of having all of the gospel of luke and the other gospels that we know where the story is going but these people right here they didn't have those stories necessarily jesus hadn't died yet um they didn't have that so we can ask some questions about what did it actually mean for them what is jesus actually saying to them and again the stories leading up to it give us clues but he's saying to them you follow me on the road you're happy to do that you share my table you're happy to come and sit at a meal and we have discussions and you may get fed when i feed thousands of people you have a free meal but where do your loyalties actually lie where is your allegiance where does your identity come from because your tribe sees it this way your tribe sees it that the allegiance should be for those in power those with money your tribe takes the place of honor at the table my tribe my new tribe it's a different thing we're doing something different we're not playing that game in my tribe jesus spoke in this one about the poor and the blind and the lame in other stories he talks about the samaritans or the woman caught in adultery. The people who are the have-nots and the nobodies, they take the place of honor in this new tribe. The way that you've been thinking about this, the way that you've been trying to excel yourself, the way that you've been trying to put yourself forward, that is not how this happens in this new tribe. That's not how we do this. Jesus is redefining and challenging the structures of their tribe and saying things like, you have heard it said, but I tell you, You say that the person at the head of the table is the most important person at the party. Well, I say the person who's sitting outside with nothing to eat, that's the most important person. To hate your family in this sense is to take your identity elsewhere. To not be defined by the things that your culture says. These are the important things. These are the important people. The people who hold these places, they're the ones that you should look up to. That's not how it happens in the kingdom. To be part of this new tribe, 
And for that place to hold a higher place, you have to actually take the lowest seat. I am doing a new thing. And here's a really important thing that's going on here as well. And particularly, we get the clues about this in the stories of the tower and the story of the king. That if you're going to be part of this new tribe, if you're going to be part of this new tribe, it's going to cost you something. Everyone is invited. And there's a distinction between those things. Please hear that. Everyone is invited, but it will cost you something. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Are you prepared to give up your reliance on those things, on those things that the culture around you says defines you? For these people, what did the message mean for them? Those things, your family, your ancestral lines, your place of importance in the community, in the culture, are you prepared to give up those? Because if you're going to be part of this new community, we're not playing that game those things you will have to give those up it will cost you letting go of those things and are you prepared to do it are you prepared to give up your seeking of those things first your identity in those things your seat of honor at the fancy table are you prepared to give up those because if you keep following me he turns to the crowds if you keep following me, this is going to cost you something this is going to cost you something. We see that Jesus isn't asking them to hate their family, but he is challenging them to be part of a new family, a new tribe, but it will cost you. And so, taking a step back again, we read it widely, we read it in the chapter, uh, then we got some help to understand a little bit about what's going on here, and then we're asking some questions. And now, please, this is very fast-forwarded. There's so many more questions that these passages bring up but I'm wanting to use this as kind of a way to help us to understand how we can approach this. And we should be asking all the questions. And there are more questions and there are more answers as well. There's so much going on here. I think sometimes we expect there just to be one answer. Jake alluded to this last week. And I think that would be flat and lifeless. Good literature or a good movie, particularly, I'm a father, I have young kids. Watching kids' movies, there are always more than one story going on. There's always more than one level of jokes. I'll be laughing at things that the kids don't even understand because the author has been really intentional that there is more than one thing going on there. If we, we see that kind of creativity in literature everywhere, should we not expect it when we come to this amazing, powerful, living word? Should we not expect that there be multiple layers and meanings and teachings and things that can catch us all through it? If not, why would we read it again? Just put it down after the first time because it's told us everything that it can tell us. It's challenged us in every way that it can. Just give up. You've done it. You've read it. It's fine. It's done. Put it aside. Don't get it off the bookshelf again. But we don't, do we? We encourage each other to pick it up again and again and again because there is more going on here and it can challenge and tell us and, and show us more. So we're asking and seeing what happened to them and now number four, this is the takeaway for us. What does it actually mean for us? Always when we're reading the scripture, once we've gone through this process, we need to actually ask this question. It's not just held in isolation there for them. The power of this is that it can still challenge us today, isn't it? 
that it can still actually change our life today. Do we believe that? Do we believe that it can actually define and redefine the things that we take seriously in our lives, in our culture? What is the story saying to us here and now? We need to try and understand what is going on in this life-changing questions. This is where the scripture actually can make an impact on us. Not just in telling us stories about how they changed, but in actually challenging us to change ourselves when we ask these questions. What is it asking of me? What is this story asking of me? And then even further, what is Jesus asking of me? What is Jesus asking of me in this story? If this hate, if this hate is all about where you get your identity from and whether you're up for the cost of being part of this new tribe, then we should be asking it of ourselves. We should be asking of it each other. Are you prepared for the cost of following Jesus? Everyone is invited, but being part of this new tribe, it will cost you something. You will be defining your life differently to those around you. You will be seeking different things to those around you. You will be pursuing a different path alongside of others. You, you may be seeing them take things that you want. Are you prepared to give up that? What would it actually look like for us? What would, it may be comfort. It may be a car. I don't have the fastest, shiniest car, but my neighbor does. A wise woman said from this stage, and I think it's probably the most repeated, most repeated phrase from any sermon given here. Rachel Bale said a long time ago, to get the words exactly right but comparison is the thief of joy comparison is the thief of joy and definitely plays through in this but what are you seeking is it a car is it a house is it a postcode are you prepared to give up that a job with status are you prepared to give up that who do you know that is here's the challenge as you look around and as you think about the people who do you know that is giving up those things what does their life look like when they're pursuing things of the kingdom and not the things that all of their neighbors are pursuing? And it's tough because sometimes you make decisions and you take that first step and you don't necessarily know what the cost will be. Jesus in this story is going, there is going to be a cost. And in this story, we see the trajectory. We know that it's going to cost Jesus his life. But you might step out thinking, I know it's going to cost something but I don't know exactly what that looks like. And you end up a long way down that path and you look back. And again, if you're comparing yourself to your neighbors, that, that harsh reality kind of bites, doesn't it? When you see that they've got a bigger house or a bigger car or a bigger family or whatever it is, they're doing whatever you want, whatever culture is defining themselves by and you feel like you're missing out because you're comparing yourself to your neighbors. Sometimes you don't realize when you're making those decisions, that it is going to cost you that. You, even if you know that it's going to cost you something, it's not always spelled out for you, is it? Here's a question for you, though. For those of you who have given up something, would you do it again? Are you prepared for that cost? Would you actually give up this transformation that's happened, this challenge in your life that has changed the person that you are, the way that you relate to neighbors, would you give that up 
to have the house, to have the car, to have the postcode? Would you undo those things and not follow Jesus? Or have you just been caught up in the crowd? Have you just been there for the free lunch? Have you just been there because it's fun sitting around the table with Jesus and getting a free meal? Following Jesus should cost us something. It will cost not necessarily what we know, not necessarily what we think. But this story challenges us to go, this following Jesus thing, it's going to cost you something. The way that you define, the way that your culture defines this world, the way that the people say that things are important, the kingdom is not like that. We are playing a different game. It may cost you something. Now, I'm going to just change gears a little bit because I want to tell you and celebrate and honor some people who I've seen who are doing that, who are on a trajectory towards this kind of life and have been doing it for a very long time, but in a very significant way, they're going to be doing it shortly. Some of you know Jen and Boyd Pearson. Um, I haven't told them that I'm going to tell this story, so sorry to embarrass you guys, uh, but it is really to celebrate you and to honor you guys. They've lived in Castle Hill for a long, long time, and they're selling up and they're moving to Seven Hills. They're giving up a postcode. They're giving up a huge property with a big land value to move into an apartment, to be part of a new community, to do a different thing, to actually have an impact on people in that place, giving up the things that this culture says, no, 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 you shouldn't go backwards. Don't be going from a big house to a small unit. You want to be going from a unit to a bigger unit, to then to a house, to a bigger house, from that car to a bigger car. That's what our culture is telling us. That's what all the messages, the marketing, everything else about us is saying. You should be seeking more, not giving that up to move to Seven Hills. You shouldn't be moving from 2154 to 2147. That's a step backwards. You should be trying to get out of Seven Hills and move to Castle Hill, not out of Castle Hill and move to Seven Hills. It's cost them already. But they've been doing this and they've been giving up their time for a long time. They've been involved in the ReStore for longer than I have. Um, and to see them going on this journey is, is really exciting. And like I said, I really want to honor you guys. But particularly lately, I'm seeing that it, it's costing them a lot in terms of time. They're spending time there at the store. They're spending this time. And it was... Jacob's message last week, straight after that, it, it challenged Jen. She came over and told me this story, that she'd been there on the Saturday before and someone had come and she actually got to share with them. She got to talk with them about Jesus. She got to talk to them about life, sit down and have a meaningful discussion and love someone who she normally wouldn't rub up against, who she normally wouldn't. But for years and years and years, she's been going on Saturdays and other times to be a part of people's lives. Now, I think a lot of people, when they think about the store, they think that it's like this never-ending stream of conversation after conversation after conversation of meaningful stuff. But how many years, Jen, have you been going to the store? Seven or eight years. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots of time. A lot of that time is spent waiting. Am I right? A lot of that time is spent selling clothes. A lot of that time that it's cost you you could have been doing other things. It's being patient. In the along the way stuff, then these beautiful things happen. 
it's costing them. Boyd has spent a lot of time lately with Pete, one of our volunteers for a very long time, teaching him, sitting with him. He can't read very well. Pete's trying to get his L's again. And Boyd is there spending time with him, going through the video, going through the questions, doing the practice questions, sitting with him for hours and hours and hours. He could be doing any, any number of other things. Could be doing any number of other things. But he's there spending time with people in that place. It's cost them something. They could be spending time with their friends at cafes and hanging out like other retired people do or going on holidays and doing, doing other things. They're not playing that game. They want to be part of the kingdom. They want to be part of this new tribe. That looks different. It looks different to what everyone else in the culture is saying. I'm sorry, I'm going quite long this morning, but I, I wanted to really make sure that I got that story in. And I know that you have stories as well of other people who have given up things, who, who have changed. These things used to identify me. These used to be the important things for me, but they're not anymore because I'm not playing that game. I'm following Jesus. And this looks different. It's cost me something. Yes, I'm not pursuing those things anymore. It's cost me something. But I'm following Jesus. And I wouldn't change it. And I would do it again. What about you? Are you picking up your cross? Are you hating your family? Are you hating your family? So finally, to, to recap, we, we've used this as kind of a, a case study, as I said. Um, those four steps that one we're going to read it again we're going to read it carefully we're going to read it again read it in different translations really interesting thing that I found when I read it again read it in a different translation the amplified version took all of the beauty of the literature out because what it did is it said you must hate your family and then in brackets this big long sentence that says this does not mean you literally hate them this means that it's compared to the other you love them more it's like you can't read a story like that you don't get into that when, you, when you're actually reading it like that and all the details given you. It takes all the beauty out of it, all the nuance out of the scripture. Um, read it again. Number one, we're going to read it again. Then we're going to get help. Remember that this wasn't written for individuals initially. Beautiful thing that we have that. But get help. Get other people who have been studying it, who have been reading it, who have been doing this, who have been following Jesus more. Number three, we're going to ask what it meant for them. Ask him what it meant for them. And then, only then, can we go, okay, well, what does that mean for us? How are we and asking those questions about what is this, in light of that challenge, how does this challenge my life? And what am I going to change to do it? In light of this challenge, we're going to come now to a time of communion. And here's the thing. We're all invited into this new tribe. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Jesus says, come as you are. But he also says that once you do it, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. You all have a seat at this table. You are all invited to keep coming back to this table. But keeping on coming back to this table means it will cost you something. The invitation is here. And there's bread and wine, bread and juice at the sides and at the back. Um, in your time, go and get that. The invitation is there, but will you accept it? Will you accept that invitation? Will you keep coming back to this table, even though it will cost you something?